did your parents talk about money? What did you see? Did they have conversations? Were they struggling or did they have money? And that is an awesome conversation to have that people are probably more open to than the budget conversation to start off with sometimes. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're talking about what to do when you think your spouse spends too much money. Now, this could be a difficult topic to discuss with our significant others because there are so many feelings around our personal finances. So to help us navigate these waters, I've invited Erica Young on the show today. Erica is the president and founder of TaylorMade Budgets, which she opened in 2005 after she and her husband, Chris, climbed their way out of nearly $100,000 in debt. Erica's best-selling book, Naked and Unashamed, 10 Money Conversations Every Couple Must Have, was released online in 2017 worldwide. When Erica isn't helping couples win with money, she loves working out, reading books, and playing games with her husband and two teenage daughters. Welcome to the show, Erica. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure seeing you online. And then, you know, we saw each other in person last fall, which was a lot of fun. We're both Dave Ramsey fans, I guess, fans as well as, you know, collaborators because of the whole debt-free thing. I think you and I both agree on that. Well, let's start with your story. How did you and your husband, Chris, find yourselves in $100,000 in debt? Actually, it was a normal American dream story, to be honest with you. I mean, we went to college. Both of us had student loans as a result of that. We got a couple of cars and we had a couple of loans, but they weren't even new cars. They were used vehicles and they had debt associated with it. And between the two of us, when we got out of college, we we had about seven credit cards between us. They weren't, you know, overextended. It wasn't like $20,000 in credit card debt, but honestly, all three of those things add up. And so for us, it, it grew to that large number and it was kind of an easy thing to do because no one told us not to. And therefore sliding into debt is super easy when you just say yes to everything you think you need and want. I think back to my 20s, too, and I'm like, I did a lot of those types of things, too. And Do you think it was a bit of just, I guess, wanting what maybe the people who had more wealth than us right away? I mean, was that sort of our folly? Because I feel like I was in the same spot. Yeah, well, with the student loans, I was told, go get you an education and then you'll be able to make more money and then you'll be able to pay for it. But the truth is, between the two of us, we had over $45,000 in student loan debt. So though we did have incomes to support a payment, it didn't necessarily mean that that was the right thing to do, right? And then, of course, when we started having kids, we needed a better, more reliable, safer vehicle. And I think that's the trap a lot of parents get into is, oh, this is, I can't drive a $5,000 vehicle. I've got to get a $20,000 vehicle. And again, it comes with payments. And so we did that twice. We had two kids. <laughs> and and that's the thing, you know, it, it really begins to add up. And so when we saw that our our payments were more than $1,000 a month. When we added it all up, we said, ah, something's got to give. And that is where we had to draw the line in the sand and say no more. So you had that realization. Was it you who said, this is enough? We got to make the change. Was it your husband? How did that work? 
Yeah, it was my husband, I must confess. <laughs> He's the one who found Dave Ramsey on the radio and he brought Dave Ramsey's name up in our house first and I was not having it. That could be a swear word sometimes, right, Dave Ramsey? I'm telling you, it was, it was. <laughs> and I have often had to come back and say, wow, like, yeah, you were right. Or he's had to say, yes, you were right. This is the right path to go. And that was one of the best decisions of our life that we made is to stop debting, get on a budget, have a plan out of debt, get on the same page. It was huge. And so I do owe that to him, to be honest. Maybe there was a little bit of difficulty in the beginning. What were some of those early conversations where it was like, hey, let's make a change? Yeah, well, I was an engineer and I you know, frequently went out to lunch with my team and we would spend time just talking and, and you know, shooting the breeze. And we think it was no big deal, $10, $12 each time you go out to eat, but I was actually charging that. So one of the very first conversations with my husband was, hey, we've got to stop doing this. And he took the credit card away from himself and me. And because there were too many secrets around even just small amounts of money. And so if I can't tell the truth about even small amounts of money, I certainly wouldn't be able to do that about large larger amounts. And so that was challenging. I mean, it was humbling because as an engineer, you think, oh, well, I make enough money. I should be able to afford this. I don't want to say no to coworkers and things of that nature. But we had to say yes to something bigger. And that was our commitment to no new debt. And that was difficult. That wasn't easy. And those are some of the conversations we continue to have throughout trying to get out of debt and essentially staying out of debt as well. That's incredible because you could think about it like $10. What's wrong with $10, right? But as you saw and through your plan, that can add up over time. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, think about it. Two times a week, that turns into 100 bucks a month. And if that's something that I'm not sharing, you know, then it's really just leading to more dis, you know, disagreements between us for sure. Especially if you have some goals that you're trying to hit together for eliminating that debt, because it's so easy to swipe. It is. I mean, it really, it really it is. is. <laughs> it is. Absolutely. So now you've had the ability to help families with their financial situation for a while now. Does this conversation of my spouse spends too much or I need to get control of the, the spending, does that happen a lot in your conversations you're having with clients? It does, but no one ever comes right out and say they're spending too much. They hint around. Like, I love it when I know that that's really the question they're asking is, how do we control my my wife or my husband's spending? But really, they're saying what's coming out of their mouth is, well, we spend too much, but I don't really know how much. And so that they're kind of pointing the finger and they know that they want to say the other person or so-and-so hasn't had a habit or what have you. So they really go in circles around it. They don't really want to say. But I honestly think that that's a good thing that they don't want to throw their spouse under the bus, that they, they really want to work on this and they just don't have language yet to figure out how to do it. And so I don't mind those conversations. I repeat them and you know I will repeat what I hear them saying. And then I'll say, here's maybe an issue or something for you guys to work on. And it might simply be a, you know, a conversation that they really need to have that'll help break some of those walls down a little bit and identifying some healthy boundaries. I think it's important that we, you know, agree on what we are going to do and what we aren't going to do. And that will reduce the tension and stress. 
everybody's situation's different, but sometimes, you know, at least in my relationship, I, I felt like I could easily blame my spouse for some of the problems and not look internally. There are lots of things that I like overspending on. There's lots of other things that she likes overspending on, but if I would only focus on her issues, then I would just feel like, well, I'm the righteous one and I'm, I'm doing the right thing. Do you find that in your conversations with your clients that there's, I guess, improvement opportunities all around? Absolutely. There always is. I mean, there there always is. I think we really point the finger when we're trying to keep it from being pointed at us, right? And we don't see it that way in that moment, but we all have our own frailties. And if we all understand that we're human, we're not going to do it perfectly. And that we all have weak spots or sensitive areas or things where we would prefer to spend money in this area where our spouse would not. Honestly, my husband's the fun one. I'm I'm the nerd. I'm the money lady. I don't typically like spending money. But if I didn't have him, I probably wouldn't have seen as much of the world as I have in terms of our travels. And honestly, flipping that around, if it weren't for me, he might not have as much saved, right? Because he he's the free spirit. So we're both necessary. And I think we have to appreciate what each of us brings to the table. That's a really good perspective too, because when we look at it like that, we can see the couple as the whole, you know, and you can see what advantages both sides bring to the relationship. So let's talk about how you then navigate that situation. We've recognized the issue. How do you help couples then navigate that situation where they're seeing the overspending? Well, I think the one thing is to face the total amount. Like uh, one of the things people really don't want to do is add it up, track their spending. You know, even people will come to the conversation with me and say, I haven't added it all up and I'm really not interested in looking at it. And they know that facing it is the hardest thing. So I want to create a safe space so that they can do that because you can't change something if you don't have solid information. We don't know how much more room for improvement you have unless you know what you're spending. So for instance, lots of people enjoy spending money on dining out or takeout, things like that, because it just reduces the amount of stuff you got to do at home, right? Clean up and all that. And so if we don't add up the total amount of dining out and say, okay, let's face this giant, it's 600 bucks a month that you spent. We don't know how much room for improvement is there. If, is there. Like if they're thinking they spent 300, but in reality, it's 600, then we can't effectively alter that situation. If they are spending 600 and we say, okay, well, you know, we're not going to take it all the way down to zero because that's unrealistic, but let's see what you can do with 200. And that's a vast improvement and it's not deprivation in any way, but we can't make forward progress if we don't and know exactly where we are today. Let's talk to the the person who's listening that's saying, okay, yeah, we're looking at the numbers and my spouse just does not want to change. They don't think there's anything wrong. They think money is for using because life's for living. Where would they go from there? Yeah. Well, one of the things I tell couples to do is to find your shared goal. What is it that you're really trying to reach together? What is it that both of you want? Because it's when you start with the bigger picture goal, it's much easier to break it down into how are we going to get there? And I think if we start with the how, it's going to be very difficult for you to break through and understand one another. But if you start with the fun part, the dreaming, where do we see ourselves in five or 10 years? You know, why do you want this? Help me understand and come from a place of, I just want to know you a little bit better and I want to make certain that we're getting where we both want to be as a couple. And then we can start figuring out the how after. But I think we're starting with the how too soon, to be honest, when someone isn't on board. When they're not on board, we've got to get them there with some inspiration and that comes with your goals. 
Well, let's talk about, let's say, all right, well, I've looked at the numbers. We realize that there's a problem. What are some habits or things that people can do at that point to start making improvement with their financial situation? Well, one of the things that, you know, my business is called TaylorMade Budgets and people hate the word budgets. And I was pretty intentional. Like, I don't mind this word. I clearly think that we need to face it. But sometimes I don't start there. Sometimes it's just a healthy habit would be tracking your spending, having one new conversation, understanding your money passed with your spouse. That's a huge conversation. What happened when they were a child, looking at you know, how do the kids play a role in this and understanding what their needs are, that kind of thing. Another healthy habit is looking at your account, you know, making certain that you're planning for your future. There's a lot of healthy ways we can go about this without even getting to the budget, although I think that's a fantastic habit to have. It's not a swear word on this show. You can say the B word as it much as you want. Not, <laughs> it's not. It's not a swear word. And I think we have to like be okay with that. You know what I mean? Like I think people have to understand that. But, uh, you know, a healthy habit is understanding, okay, so how much more do we need to earn in terms of a side job or some extra income in order to make our goals achievable? You know, and so just looking at some of those things is, you know, a really good place to start. Knowing what you've been through and the people you've spoken to, what are your thoughts on credit card use in general with regard to paying off debt? Do you think it's good to go cold turkey, get rid of it, or is there a smart way to use it? What are your thoughts on that? Well, honestly, I hate debt. I I hate debt. I hate credit cards. However, I will say when people are starting off and they don't have an emergency fund, I do not want them to get rid of the credit card because that's probably their only fail safe. That's their only emergency fund until they actually have some money set aside and that they know how their money is flowing. So they're not going to get stuck. So I would be a little cautious in canceling them right away if that is not their habit. But the other part of this is I have couples who have chosen, you know, to use credit cards. And so my thing is this, when you use credit and pay it off responsibly, repeatedly, that is going to help your score. That is going to make yourself have a boost or some consistency there with your credit report. And sometimes that is a tactic that's used if people are looking to get a home specifically because that's going to be helpful in terms of qualifying for a home loan. If we're looking to get more debt, if we're looking to, you know, have some other thing that, you know, is unnecessary in my opinion besides a home, then we kind of have to look back and say, why are we doing this? What is it that we're doing? You know, I've got clients who have a 800 FICO score and I have some and they they clearly do not need to use the strategies. They're trying to get out of debt and so we're just paying it down. And then I have clients whose, you know, scores are hovering around 600. And honestly, they may need to use credit, pay it off, use credit, pay it off for a season in order for it to get stable up there closer to 700. So it's a strategy and a tool that I use, but my preference, of course, is that people don't use it because you can get burned when you play with fire. It can be a dangerous tool for sure. Yeah. And I've, I've battled back and forth with the validity of just using a debit card versus credit card. And we've gone back and forth. We've done some experiments in our house where we'll jump back to the envelope system for a month. And we're like, okay, wow, we actually saved $500. That's a lot of money. So, and then, then, then we look at the points and we're like, oh, the points, it's a difficult battle. And, and knowing that you guys have paid off all your debt, are you guys still credit card free? Yeah, so I don't have a credit card in my wallet. <laughs> and honestly, it's it's a hard thing to, you know, 
really be intentional about renting a vehicle or making certain that you have a hotel stay where you feel okay using your debit card. I mean, it's tough. You know, my husband definitely goes back and forth about the whole credit card thing because for him, it's not, it, it, he doesn't have that same, you know, all holds barred, no more debt, you know, no more credit card usage. And so, you know, that's, that's something that we definitely discuss, but you know, it's, it's difficult for me personally to use it when I'm 90% of the time telling my clients, you don't need to use it, you know? And you've seen the personal success out of it as well. Yes. Yes. I've been there. I've done that. And you know, it's, it's tough. I've got to, I've got to hold that for my clients as well. Well, let's talk about life after debt for you. What does that mean? So you obviously are coaching people to get out of debt and helping them to you know, live their lives in a better way. Let's talk about what post-debt freedom looks like for you and then your clients as well. Yeah, well, I'm in a season where my oldest daughter is going to be a junior in college and my youngest is a junior in high school. And so we are focused on making sure that college is you know, debt-free for them. So part of us being out of debt, you know, helps that legacy continue. But then also, it's not easy staying out of debt. Like, it really isn't. We are doing a renovation on our bedroom and there have been some contentious moments around, oh my gosh, we're spending a decent sum of money since we weren't able to go to Hawaii. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, and so we're shifting those funds to, you know, invest in our room. So we have this oasis at home, but you know, not using debt means that you are using your debit card in a bunch of different places to make certain that you're getting what you need when you need it. And so, you know, holding that space so that we're continuing our own healthy habits, that's not easy, honestly. But the other part of it is I I like to tell people, think about what you can do with that money that is not going towards debt. It allowed my husband and I to, for me to start this business, to walk away from a career that was challenging in terms of it wasn't my personality. It allows a lot of people to start saving for retirement. And that is a fun place to be, to know that you're growing your wealth. It allows lots of folks to again, invest in their kids and make certain that they have a debt-free future or that they are able to go to college. I mean, you can go travel, you can do so many different things because you're not paying debt. And so I think the world is just whatever you want to make of it when you don't have those payments going out because your biggest wealth building tool is your ability to keep your income and do whatever it is you need to do with it to build wealth. And so if we're, you know, putting all that money towards debt reduction, it, is keeping us from being able to look at our future versus our past. It's really exciting to see where you can go with all this hard work. And, you know, back to our conversation about, you know, being able to speak to your spouse about overspending or looking at those areas for improvement. It sounds like your advice is the budget is a great place to start. Is that right? It is. It is. And then also making certain that you have a conversation about how you guys can play on the same team, going in the same directions with your goals and making that, you know, a really important reason to do the budget in the first place. Well, let's talk about maybe that situation where they're like, okay, I can't get my spouse to even talk to me about money. They will not open up. Is there a difference between a time when you might need a third party for marriage counseling versus when you would need somebody maybe like yourself who's a personal finance coach? When do we make that determination? 
Well, you'll see if the communication between you is rocky, if it's showing up in other places besides your money. And so if if I'm hearing that there in our conversation that there's more arguing in different areas around the, you know, rich out rearing your career, you know, in-laws or something else, there's more to that story than just finances and that potentially will need marriage counseling outside of the personal coaching space. But then also... Many people, you know, are working with one spouse who is just not on board. And what I would say is invite them in by just saying, so how do you see this playing out? What is it that you need from me to make this work? And so the thing is, is if they want the, if they, if one person is responsible for doing all of the money matters and they're okay with that, great. Give them headlines. I always say, give headlines and say, here are the big things we need to be looking at. You don't have to get into the details of everything, but here are the headlines. We're on track. I paid this amount in debt off, or this is how much is in savings. Totally fine. But if the challenge is you're trying to pull them in and make them do work and they're not interested in doing the work of it, maybe we need to just figure out what is going to get them excited. Maybe it's, you know, where that that small little space. Sometimes people just need to be able to work with their two or $300 of fun money and then they're good, right? And sometimes it's, I just don't want to give up this particular hobby or, you know, whatever it is. We just need to figure out what it is that's causing the resistance because I think it's not, always resistance to the entire thing. Sometimes it's that one nugget that's going to make a real difference in them. Like you said, might be the process. Like if you're like, hey, how come my my husband doesn't want to stare at this 200 line <laughs> Excel sheet with me? We, we must need marriage counseling. So no. yeah, to your point, <laughs> maybe it's just getting to that point where they are either supplied the information that they can live with and then obviously provide feedback on or maybe just find a new process that works for both of you. So it's, it's a lot of trial and error. Is that right? It is. And you know what? I think it requires patience from the person who's really that gung-ho person. It, it just requires patience because typically the one who's really, really interested in this is the nerd. And they don't really want to bring the emotional side to it. They're just like, oh, just let's figure this out together. Let's do it. And I, you just don't want to push your spouse away in this area. You want to find ways for you to connect and for you to agree and for you to find common ground. And if you continue to push your nerdy ways on them, it's going to backfire at some point. So we need to kind of back off a little bit and have some patience. You mentioned something just just briefly about understanding your spouse's childhood and their background with money. Why is that important? It is absolutely vital. I think that and this is why I wrote my book, honestly. It's it's set up in three different sections. First, it talks about your money past, which is all about your childhood upbringing up until adulthood. And then your money present and where you are today and facing that hard truth. It's probably the difficult section. And then your money future and dreaming. And what, do you, what legacy do you want to leave? And how do you want to build wealth? And what does that look like? And we want to get to that and avoid all the other stuff. But the challenge is that if you don't know how you and your spouse both were raised around money, you probably really won't understand why they are the way they are. So my personal story is that I didn't have the best examples of personal financial management. And part of what I wanted to do was make certain that I was able to give that to my kids, give that type of insight, knowledge, wisdom, and advice to my children, because it's something that I personally did not have. And so when you think about why I do what I do, it, it really stems back to the lack of information that, you know, I didn't have. And so working from, you know, being 
you know, living with a single parent and that feast and famine lifestyle, I did not want that for my kids. And so that's why I'm a nerd today, right? And so we think about what is the reason we are who we are. And that's going to really be enlightening for a lot of couples if they just kind of have that conversation and understand, well, you know, tell me about how did your parents talk about money? What did you see? Did they have conversations? Were they struggling or did they have money? And, you know, that is an awesome conversation to have that people are probably more open to than the budget conversation to start off with sometimes. Yeah, this book sounds awesome. I love how you broke it up into those three areas. What other essential conversations could we be having outside of what we've spoken about already? Well, honestly, I think one of the big ones, and this is personal for me, is having no secrets. You know what I mean? Be an open book just and, and having some boundaries around what, how much you will spend without the spouse needing to have a budget committee meeting, right? Like, you know, thinking about what that number is and, you know, making certain that you have a floor, like you don't spend your account down lower than this. And, and so just that transparency is a big conversation. So even if, again, you guys aren't talking about the money every single day and, you know, talking about this $2, you know, 7-Eleven trip you had, <laughs> you, you have established the healthy ways that you want your financial relationship to go. And I think that transparency is a huge conversation to have. Well, that's incredible. This book sounds incredible. Where can people get it? And then where can people connect with you, Erica? Yes, the best place to find that book is on Amazon. You can get that to your door really quick. And then you can also find me on tailormadebudgets.com and sign up if you want for my seven-day money challenge. That's on sevendaymoneychallenge.com. It's just a little bit of wisdom and advice for seven days via video from me. And it gets you inside of my newsletter and on the journey with me. Excellent. Erica, thank you so much for your time today. This was a great conversation. So fun to be here. sticky situation for a lot of couples, but if you have patience and a little bit of empathy, it can go a long way. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Erica Young. Number one, start with your collective goals. It's a lot easier to make progress with your finances if you know where you are going. What goals do you and your spouse have together? Do you want to help your kids graduate student debt-free? Do you want to have more money for fun and spend less on debt? If you work together and find that middle ground and the goals that you're both excited about, it's a great place to start. Number two, try reductions instead of eliminations. Now, speaking from experience here, it can go over a lot better if you talk about reducing spending in certain areas rather than completely eliminating categories altogether. For example, let's say you and your spouse agree that the Amazon purchases are higher than they should be after you guys lay out your budget together. How about decreasing those purchases by whatever, 30%, 25% per month instead of eliminating them altogether. Now, it's obviously something that makes one or both of you happy to buy those things on Amazon. So eliminating it altogether is only going to bring more strife to the relationship, more difficulty into the relationship. So start with reductions and see how it goes from there. Number three, consider the money passed in your conversations. I really liked how Erica touched on this. Everyone's history with money is different. For someone who didn't grow up with a lot, 
spending money now may make them feel great. So try to put yourself in their shoes, especially you money nerds that are listening to the show. (laughs) Try to put yourself in their shoes when you're deciding how much is appropriate for spending because your appropriate may be different from their appropriate based on their very specific money past. Erica, thank you so much for sharing your money past, your money present, and your money future with us. Your advice and story, I think they're going to help a lot of couples listening today. As a quick reminder, everybody, the show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. A big thanks to Dan Tabbitt for editing today's show and also Alec Collins for bringing our YouTube videos to life. You can check that out at youtube.com slash marriagekidsandmoney that has videos of all these interviews. Make sure you go there and subscribe. Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do one thing to support this show. Please join our free Thriving Families Facebook community at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. We have almost 900 members and we're helping each other hit our big family financial goals. As an example, a group member, Michelle, shared this bit of good news recently. We met our three to six month emergency fund goal six months early. Way to go, Michelle. That's awesome. And group member Crystal Lee shared this bit of good news. We got our rental mortgage to sub $100,000 this week and are on track to pay it off in two years. Now that kind of news can be infectious, my friends. I hope you'll join us in the group, share your wins and your progress. It is a lot easier to hit our big goals when we have a group to support us along the way. And that's what the Thriving Families Facebook group is all about. So join us again for free at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. I hope to see you there. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Brene Brown. Empathy is simply listening, holding space, withholding judgment, emotionally connecting, and communicating that incredibly healing message of you're not alone. In your relationship and in life, it can make all the difference in the world to step in someone else's shoes and experience their perspective. Carpe diem.